0: Hello, 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 and welcome to Kicking and Streaming the show where streaming originals and traditional cinema enter the ring for the ultimate showdown.
1: I'm Bo, And I'm Chris. Are streaming originals the TV movies of the 21st century? Is cinema really different from movies? Is Netflix the future? These questions and more on...
0: Kicking and streaming... Ki- kicking and... Here, you, you, need, you, need say, you need to say it with me.
1: No, I thought you... Okay, okay, hold on. Kicking and...
0: Hold on, no, no. Okay. Okay. At the same time. Okay. 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 One, two... Kicking and streaming. No. Okay. no. Here, no, okay. Here, I'll, I'll count you in.
1: everybody welcome back to kicking K- 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 welcome back to kicking and streaming. This is episode nine. We are on episode nine of kicking and streaming coming up on our nine on our on our 10 episode anniversary. Bo, are you excited?
0: <laughs> the audience the, the audio the podcast audience may be used to Chris's little foils and flubs, but I'm gonna go ahead and and <laughs> Get, cut him a little slack but i'm gonna pull back the curtain i'm gonna spoil a little bit of the podcast magic and i'm just gonna let it out into the open that you know behind the scenes because of this and that it's actually been a, it's been a minute since since we've been here it's been a little
1: longer than usual since we've been in the saddle it's true we've been running out of runway uh we, we, we've we've pre-recorded we, I mean, we'll, we'll record an episode and we'll edit it and sometimes we'll get a bit tenacious and record a few episodes before the next one releases but we've yeah, we we both had a bit of a hiatus between the last one and this one, and now we're, we're we're living episode to episode, where we're we're going paycheck to paycheck on this one. Except there's no paycheck. Oh boy! So half the entertainment value of this episode is just going to be how rusty we are. Uh, hey, speaking of which, hey Bo, uh, I was thinking, uh huh, we we should start coming up with some catchphrases for our for the podcast. Like for instance, you could sometimes say, well, you know what they say. Uh, Ignorance is Chris. <laughs> I, I got. I, I have a whole list of them. So like, in this on. episode,
0: we're we're starting out with <laughs> our our Netflix pick.
1: <laughs> Bo, listen. Uh, I want to know what you thought of the film I assigned you. I assigned Bo a film this time around. It's a hot item. It's it just it just recently hit Netflix, starring Jamie Fox, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and oh, a name that. Dominique Fishback, Dominique Fishback, and a bunch of other hodgepodge characters. It's a a movie called Project Power. Uh, Bo, on a scale of one to ten, with one being a lot and ten being very much, how much did you enjoy Project Power? (laughs)
0: Listen, I'm not going to spoil things at the outset. I'm going to let it sort of evolve. Oh yeah. Let me ask you this, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a counter, uh, as I ignore your your rating system, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> have you were you able to get it straight as Project Power each time cuz I'm not going to lie, there are a few times I've called this movie Power Project.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's one of those names that kind of just blows by on the wind. It feels like it, it feels like it's a placeholder until a real title comes up.
0: Yeah, it really does. And um, I mean, maybe that that comes into play with what they what they're calling power in this, because it is sort of I mean, it's sort of a brutalist utilitarian uh, name for this, because what the power refers to, in part, is a drug called power, Ooh. Which simply called power. it's a drug that people take called power, and it gives them power when they take it.
1: Nice and simple.
0: Yeah. Nice, nice and simple. So, okay, I, I'm I'm going to dive in here. So uh, Project Power opens in present-day New Orleans, or maybe a New Orleans that's n- in the not-too-distant future, yeah. as the X-Men franchise would put it. <laughs> and I think there are many apt comparisons that can be made to X-Men. hmm yeah. And so, you know, we will probably – Come back to that. Uh, In this movie, a mysterious entity is giving dealers a free supply of a new drug called power. This drug essentially seems to imbue the users with superhuman abilities uh, while they are under the influence. Like X-Men mutants, the powers seem to be unique to each individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, The plot follows three main characters. The first is Robin, played by Dominique Fishback, who is... Or who was at the time twenty nine, by the way, playing a young high schooler. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, uh, I I I remember watching it and thinking like, this girl is actually like, I was like, this is a, this is a pretty pretty good up and coming young starlet. She's got a promising future ahead of her. This little whippersnapper. And then yeah, I look her up, twenty nine years old.
0: Yeah, it's just right at the end of her career. Yeah, <laughs> she's
1: peaked. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: So she's a high schooler who's dealing drugs to help pay the bills for her mother, who is sick. So she's, you know, character one of three. The other Another is uh, Frank, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's a cop who has a rapport with Robin and has been experimenting with the power drug himself. And the third character, uh, and it's the third character whose quest sort of drives the action, is Art, played by Jamie Foxx. And he's a rogue ex-military agent Trying to trace the drugs to their source, as the supplier seems to have his daughter imprisoned for reasons that we don't yet understand as the movie is unfolding. So that's the basic setup for sort of a crime action drama. Yeah, yeah. That could possibly be classified as sci fi, but yeah, seems very much of our world. Yeah. Great. And. I'll quickly jump into the, this. This is the director, the director duo two two friends, uh, Ariel, Ariel Shulman and Henry Joost. Mm. And did you see, did you happen to see what they're, where they come from? I mean, their
1: uh, what their last thing, what was? their
0: filmography is.
1: Uh, I don't believe so. No. So their
0: big project is Catfish. That's uh, no, that's right. Catfish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the perhaps the perhaps um, well the the sort of documentary docudrama thing about yeah about the person being catfished over Facebook. That's right, and I think it's interesting because in many ways this is a, a, a real departure, not just in you know themes, but in its total style, because cat catfish at least in its appearance, is very sort of cinema verite. You know, it's a documentary kind of unfolding as, it, as we watch. Um, it doesn't feel as though it's planned. Certainly it's not sleek. You know, it's not um, high concept yeah. or high production value, which is what this is full of. You know, everything here has the veneer yeah yeah of
1: feels like a blockbuster pulled straight out of the 90s it does kind of yeah
0: and, and I mean yeah it's it's got it, that sleek you know either it's kind of that that Netflix polish over like you say kind of a 90s action blockbuster feel there's a lot of darkness, a lot of uh, wide angles and wandering lenses. There's everything seems to be bathed in red. They go through a lot of effort to add red to things. Lots of red lights, um, blood, blood coming about in creative ways that sort of pull our attention to the color red over and over again, which, you know, I mean, I suppose is fitting in terms of the way we associate red with power and the red personalities. Yeah, exactly. But while I'm. In this, this idea of the kind of the look of the film and the departure. And I want to ask you, what did you think of the the CGI and the special effects in this film? Because, yeah, yeah. I guess we should say these these pills, these power pills are sort of activated, like you twist them. And. Um, before swallowing them and that kind of sets the, I don't know, the chemical reaction or whatever is happening. It's not quite explained. That sets it in motion and then you can ingest it and the and fairly instantaneously the effect of the drug will, will happen. Yeah, yeah. But when it's twisted, you know, we see like this sort of little cyclone happen inside the pill
1: yeah, just... and then
0: the changes that happen to the person depending on what sort of power manifests through them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, that's probably one of my, one of the biggest takeaways for me from the film was I was, I was actually genuinely a big fan of the VFX Uh, er, early on in the story. uh, Art encounters a character named Newt, who is a low level drug dealer and they get into a conflict with Newt, uh, taking some power pills and turning into the human torch, essentially, which was really kind of like a, a very brutal, painful-looking version of the Human Torch. Uh, the special effects were really impressive. He looked like he was literally burning from the inside out. And uh, there's pretty... I thought the the makeup was pretty good, too, especially for Newt in that opening scene. He looks like he's been burned a few times uh, before we see him pop the pill. Yeah, I, I think the, well, there's only a few times where the CGI looked, no, like, noticeably bad. I mean, obviously, it's it's noticeable... Pretty much in every instance that it's used, pr- mainly because the things happening are so outlandish that there's no way it would be anything else. But uh, I think there's only a few moments where it really pulls you out, gets into like Scorpion King level bad, where <laughs> uh, a character named Biggie takes a pill and becomes an incredible Hulk type character. That looked pretty bad. That looked like something out a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But uh, apart from that, I was I was I was pretty impressed with. Um, the, the VFX they use they could have gone with something a bit more generic, but I think they had a little bit of fun with it. A lot of times when the character pops the pill, you get this kind of crazy kaleidoscope view of cells morphing and changing and burning and doing all this crazy stuff. And it's kind of a fun stylistic flair they give it that gives it a bit of its own identity. Uh, I also enjoyed uh, Frank, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, when he pops his pills. He, his power is that he becomes... Indestructible. I don't think he gets super strength, does he? I, I think he does. He actually punches a hole in the ground at one point. He just turns into, like, Mr. Incredible. And at one point, he gets shot in the temple, and it kind of flattens and bounces off, but his skin kind of ripples and becomes almost scaly, like the skin of, like, an alligator. Like, it kind of has these little weird textured bumps. There's these little, little touches that they add that I, that I w- was kind of a fan of. Um, although... I do think they went a bit overboard in places with the practical effects, surprisingly. Uh, The character Biggie that I mentioned earlier, who becomes huge partway through the film. uh, Bo, I don't know if you noticed this. It's easy to miss. But did you notice he has a gigantic, shriveled, gaping scar all over his neck? It's easy to miss. It's a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of thing. Apart from all the shots where the camera focuses on it intensely. (laughs) He's got this kind of shriveled, and it's. I think it's meant to be. You know, he's this dealer. Uh, he he's a high level dealer. He's one of the top guys, and it's kind of clear that he's taking from the supply because yeah. they, they kind of imply as the, as you swallow the pill that it kind of burns as it goes down and has some damaging effects, even if you even if you're compatible with it. Uh, and his character, his neck. He's got like ninety year old turkey neck going on. He's got like a bit of a, a got got a, got a waddle going on. Yeah. And yes. I just remember I remember thinking like it's impressive makeup. But it's one of those things where I feel like the character would have actually been a bit more interesting if they had been a bit more coy about it. Specifically if he's out there pushing power, you know, pushing these power pills and promising people, he I mean his job is to make it glam in all the scenes with Biggie whenever he's doing these little sales pitches for power pills, he's Boy, we're going to test my pop filter today on my microphone. I keep there's a lot of a lot of p alliteration in this movie. Uh, <laughs> he uh he's giving these pitches about like prepare to become like the most m- magical, perfect person you've ever become, you're going to change the world, etc. But he's saying all this with this floppy, disgusting, shriveled sack hanging off of his chin, and it's supposed to show like, oh yeah, he takes it a lot, look how messed up he is. But wear a turtleneck, man! Like, I would think. As part of the sales pitch, he'd you know wear like a stylish blazer with a little gray turtleneck underneath or something like that, and then maybe as part of the reveal goes on, turtleneck comes down. You see how much he's messed up from it, but he just wears it like a badge of honor. Just like, hey guys, do power, and you too can look as handsome as me. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like it's like going to an MLM meeting, you know, where you're trying they're trying to finagle you into one of their multi level marketing companies, and then the person who gets up to speak has like a red skeleton kind of Homeless guy aesthetic with a big red nose and five o'clock shadow and like a, a frying pan hat, shabby trench coat, like, ah, you could be rich like me. Just sort of saw it as I, I think you could tell that they were that they were happy with their special with their makeup effects. And I think they had every right to be happy about it. But I think that there are a few times where they went a little bit too show, don't tell. And they could have they could have held back a bit. But all that to say. Uh, with the exception of a few scenes where they go really overboard, I thought the 3D effects, the animation and the practical effects were all among the better parts of the movie.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you're you're talking about some of the nuances that show up like this, the scales kind of forming a little bit when you when you see the character Frank, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, get get shot, you know, point blank and survive because he's under the influence of this drug. And th- there's sort of talk about that. And they kind of hint at um, these. The drug is sort of in a very uh, simplified way passed off to us as it it sort of gives you abilities that they've taken from nature. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like that, you know, there's kind of a the character you were just talking about gives a speech where, you know, he talks about these. So the a sort of untapped potential of what animals can do, you know, animals that can regenerate their limbs or, you know, that can fly and have exoskeletons and all kinds of things that, um, you know, that, that humans don't have. And so there's that, so that there's that implication writing throughout it that's – it usually – it typically doesn't get very explicit. Like we're not seeing each of these powers as, you know uh, – Directly correlating with a certain animal, yeah. Except for one kind of, <laughs> but um, t- t- toward the end. But mm, yeah, uh, yeah. so there, there's that. There's that nuance there, and addressing the the practical effects, I think that it, it taps into another issue, which you can tell me if this how well you think this falls into what you're describing. But mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the things that the movie kind of makes a bit unclear. Like we know that this is a dangerous drug and we come to understand that sort of the reason why it's being given out for free is that the, you know, the powers that be are kind of testing the drug on the population of New Orleans to see how they're going to, you know, how they deal with it and what it is because the drug is very volatile right now. And that's something that I don't know if... I mean, I suppose if we want to sit back and try and judge, you know, levels of realism here, which is perhaps a pointless exercise. But if you're thinking, you know, if say that there were a drug that could do these sort of things and had the sort of risks that it does, I I think people probably would really take it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But but seeing the way that this like the 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 extent to which the movie displays the damage and the volatility and the pure chaos of this drug really does make you sort of sit back and think like, are people really going to take this? Yeah, like, yeah. even starting with that character of Newt that we meet at the beginning, and he's the first one we really see, you know, under the influence of the power, he's the one that essentially becomes a human torch. But When you see him, I mean, you know, you talked about the the efficacy of the makeup. Yeah, I mean, he's he looks... You know, I mean, he's a burn victim. He's yeah. covered in in burns and scars, and it's not like, you know, it isn't like uh, Frank's character who becomes sort of, you know, pff, impervious to harm. He
1: got the sweet end of he, the deal. He
0: like, well, kind of ends up with little scratches and and little things, but um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, he just sort of looks like, oh, he can dip in and dip out of his power, and and several others look like that as well. But this this torch guy, it's like, man, I mean, you'd think you, you have to be pretty far gone, I think, to want to continue in that vein once you've gone where he is. Yeah. I mean, he looks his his home is like destroyed. You know, his life is essentially over. Like he's a he's he's covered in burns. Everything about him looks, you know, destroyed. Yeah. And <laughs> when you see him take the pill to in his encounter with in his first encounter with with the Jamie Foxx character I mean it just consumes him yeah like he's like you you just think the way that they portray it like how could the human body possibly withstand this
1: yeah and it's it it, they do a good job I think uh the actor I thought did a pretty good job selling the painful side of that there's you definitely don't get the feeling that he's, you know, gleefully shouting flame on and having a ball, throwing fireballs and stuff. He look, Yeah, it, it's interesting because, yeah, he gets the pa- like in his case, it's like the power it gives him is basically the power of being set on fire. Yeah, it <laughs> really is. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, he, to the extent that it's cheaper to just douse yourself in gasoline. Exactly. To the
0: extent that. Like, he really has uh, just about the same ability that he would, <laughs> yeah, if he'd covered himself in gasoline and lit himself on fire. That's essentially what the pill is doing for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, and... I would consider that a, a wash. I would be like, oh, it looks like it's not for me.
0: I-, I guess what you say, if it's not clear, and for those who may not turn in, whatever your power is, seems to be, that's what it is. Like, the way that the pill reacts with your genetic makeup Produces this effect. It's not like you take this pill, you turn into this thing, you take this one, you turn into that. It's whatever you're going to be when you take the pill is always going to be that yeah. way, you know, until you explode or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, so if you if you take it once and you burst into flames, you could probably be pretty guaranteed that you're just going to burst into flames each time you take this pill.
0: Yeah, so you have to wonder kind of how he's done. I will say just quickly on the design uh, subject... That I, I was intrigued by, I, I, I was intrigued by the by the interior of Newt's apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, it had that sort of wild. This guy has been immersed in the world of drugs and crime and sort of alternative lifestyles. You know, I mean, there's an alligator chained up there. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, it's that he's playing some sort of. There's a little, you know, nice touch of him playing some sort of video game that has to do with. Some kind of fire, flame character. Yeah, yeah. I and that. the whole apartment is bathed in red, of course, as most of the film is. And but, but I did find myself thinking, I wish that perhaps they'd kind of leaned into that aesthetic, this sort of bonkers, gritty realism, or more toward a comic book feel. Mm-hmm. Because I did feel that we hit these these strange disconnects where things were stylized and flashy, but then it it was hard to tell at what point I'm supposed to see this as kind of a stylized moment existing in this hyper world, mm-hmm. and at what point am I in this very grounded reality seeing something? truly bizarre happen because when those bizarre things happen in this world that feels fairly grounded in other ways it just sort of gives i think a disconnect of the sheer power of power <laughs> by which i mean the idea basically of you know it just looks like the the destruction the chaos is so much that even those who are desperate for for weapons or desperate for the experience would be extremely wary because it's yeah i mean it really is like you know i mean there's a lot of scare stories about hard drugs because uh you know hard drugs come with real consequences but this feels a bit like the way that hard drugs might have been explained to you when you were a kid, like to scare you about them, (laughs) Like, oh, you know, if you touch this thing, like you're going to, you know, it's going to consume your life and you're going to be addicted from like, you know, from like day one when it, when in fact, you know, a lot of the hard drugs exist in pills that are prescribed by doctors that people take and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And stop taking with very little, you know, detriment to their to their lives and obviously there are risks and people are different but but you know i mean this is just so the the sheer intensity of it is sort of mind-boggling yeah given that the rest of the world feels so grounded and i felt like if they'd leaned a little bit more into you know almost giving me like vibes of like kind of an anime or or a superhero story then I could have accepted some. I could have leaned in a little bit more to like, oh, okay, this is cool, quote unquote.
1: Yeah, or yeah. you
0: know, this looks awesome, sort of thing, rather than just thinking like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, why would you? Why would you even put yourself near this <laughs> this unadulterated <laughs>
1: destruction? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I like the way you put that because it's. You get this vibe, uh, go, referring back to the to the fight with Newt. There is this seed of thinking like, "Wow, this is like really cool." I mean, because again, the VFX alone are amazing, and so there's definitely this wow factor to it. But then it's like they they want to have that neat, fun comic book wow factor with a splash of very bizarre, dark realism. Of by the way, like it, it's almost like like it's it's hard to tell if the movie is even aware of of how detrimental these drugs are or how worried we should be because it's kind of when you're watching Newt it's almost kind of like see how cool he is isn't that rad look how burned he is look how dead he is isn't that
0: cool this is one of the main things that I noticed and they sort of pay lip service to that like it's sort of given this idea of like hey don't you like do you know you know characters will say like hey you could even take this and have it react badly with you and you just explode and we see that happen to one character yeah just takes the pill and immediately just blows up, like no power, just dead. <laughs> yeah. And um, which is, you know, so there's that there's that risk and that's talked about. And, you know, the consequences of of dealing with it are sort of hinted at, but yeah, it, it feels a bit tonally inconsistent. Like I don't really feel that theme-wise, it, it's exactly like you say, I'm not sure... That the movie is aware of how dangerous the drug is, or it has made up its mind on how dangerous it is. Yeah. And another little example of this is there's kind of a, this backstory as our as the three main characters are kind of uncovering more and more of you know this kind of plot and what's where's this drug coming from and who's behind it. We see this. What did you say he was called? Big Big uh, Big Big E or what?
1: Just Biggie, like B, e like the letter E. Uh, I think it's just oh Biggie, 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 yeah, biggie. Yeah. got it. Biggie.
0: Yeah, I see it. Okay, yeah, Biggie. Uh, that'd be fun. Let's, let's see. Be fun. Played hey. by Rod Rodrigo Santoro. Yeah, that would be actually a pretty cool yeah. if
1: you were a drug dealer. If I'm, but if I'm a drug dealer, I want you to hold me to this. If I ever get into the drug trade,
0: I see where you're going.
1: I want my name to be Biggie. Yeah, but yeah. it's going to be spelled with just an uppercase E.
0: You you can put this on your on your list with all those catchphrases you've been brainstorming.
1: Exactly, the list grows more and more every day. Uh,
0: so so yeah, this 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 biggie character he's kind of like yeah he's he's sort of like this glamorous salesman for power. We see him at the beginning. He's 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 giving out the drugs for free, and later we see he's trying to sort of broker. Uh, well, he, he's trying to to arrange all these deals with uh, like- South American. Latin American, yeah, South America or Central America. I don't remember. uh, Governments like using them to like create instability, basically selling it as a weapon. Like here's here's a weapon that you can use. But what I thought was like, it's so destructive. And even his presentation is so chaotic. Yeah. That, I mean, the way that it goes through that I felt like surely the way that you would be marketing this is here is a pill to give to your enemies <laughs> because I, I felt like I mean to me that would have made much more sense. Like yeah, yeah, send this like the way that they're I mean they they they're putting it out into New Orleans to New Orleans and New Orleans is is eating itself. Yeah, you yeah. know, in extent to the extent that the drug is there, and that's obvious. And and then they look at what's happening even in the demonstrations, and it's so destructive. You know, and he's talking about like the future of it, like potentially they could rein this in and harness it. But it's almost as though they're talking about it like there's just a few little tweaks that need to happen. (laughs) When to my mind, the way that they're showing it. Yeah, I would like it. Were I in that position and I was where I was trying to, you know, use it as a as a way to wage war or to gain, you know, political power. I would think that the ideal thing to do would be yeah to ship it off to the to my enemy and let my enemy, you know, sort of ingest it and deal with the consequences and then come in, you know, sober and yeah. and be able to be able to deal with them easier because of the, you know, the horror that it's unleashed upon their upon that. Country. Yeah, exactly. But it's not marketed that way, which to me kind of says, I mean, you you can argue that that's kind of the way that the characters think about it, but I'm not sure that the movie ever really convinces me that it's aware.
1: Yeah, it seems like the movie is sort of kind of like, hey, if you can get past this hurdle where you might explode, having powers through this pill is pretty, pretty kick ass. Like, it's pretty cool. I think you're going to like it. And yeah, like you say, I think I think that Frank, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, I think he's the only character in the entire film who takes the pill and doesn't get a power that destroys his environment or himself. Uh, so that's, that's one out of like 30 powers that we see over the course of the film that seems like it's worth the risk of blowing yourself up or setting yourself on fire. Or in the case of the girl during that demonstration by Biggie, uh, I love that they, they give it to some random attendant, some random attendee who clearly is taking it for their very first time. So already they're gambling on the idea. They're like, hey, when we show off this pill, what do you yeah. say to a 50-50 chance they explode in front of everyone? That'll really s- seal the deal. But yeah, and, and during a big, yeah, big, important presentation. Yeah, like this, like a high stakes, like they are like the key component of every every cartel in South America. Uh, and you get this and then of course e- e- even with how well un- you know quote unquote well that it goes she's still the girl ge- he even says like ah it's just like frozen cuz the girl gets ice powers but really once again her ice powers are that she is freezing to death slowly and yes. they 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 put her in a chamber when she takes it and the the chamber warms up he's like ah see this cool chamber we have this keeps it from getting too bad it's like okay, are you going to ship a chamber with every pill? Like uh and you know, obviously, you know, the film wastes no time in showing what could go wrong. The the tank gets shut off and then she freezes to death. Not that that's putting it lightly. Freezing to death actually seems kind of peaceful compared to how she goes. She she turns into ice to death. Yeah. Uh <laughs> um yeah, it it just seems that combined with the gaping disgusting scar on his neck. I'm thinking if I'm if I'm worth as much money as I'm assuming that lady's worth. It's like are you the best case scenario? Is this ice lady the best like yeah, again, this would be a great thing to drop into a low income neighborhood and just have it just explode from the inside out as the people tear themselves apart with this, with these insane powers that Really, the, the the whole wish fulfillment side of things. I mean, it's making me think back and doubt every desire I ever had as a kid of wanting to be a superhero. I'm like, man, is every single superpower coupled with just excruciating pain?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and And here's the thing. I think that that would have been that that could be an interesting film. You know, yeah. that's an interesting theme to explore. Like, you know, what if like, let's look at, you know, X-Men essentially, but. The mutant powers, you know, are sort of wreaking havoc. I mean, you know, like the closest that X-Men really got to that sort of thing is that, um, you know, Wolverine's claws would tear his skin every time they came out. Yeah. And it was painful. Yeah. But but he could, he could deal with it because he also happened to be the character <laughs> who can heal himself. Yeah. And other than that, you know, it's just sort of an ability. And so the story of X-Men, of course, becomes – you know, sort of in many ways, a story about um, dealing with, you know, differences and acceptance and how do people with these powers fit into a world that where not everyone has them. Whereas this story, although it's um, dealing with some similar abilities becomes much more of, uh, you know, kind of a well it's just more chaotic i mean it's not even a cautionary tale because it doesn't really go there yeah um it it just sort of uses it as atmosphere to drive you know the the story i guess it's i mean atmosphere for the story to exist in so and, and maybe maybe we kind of switch gears here to talk a little bit about about the the plot uh, and the the three main characters yeah. and kind of what they're what they're doing so yeah, as I mentioned at the top, uh, Art, played by Jamie Fox, he's, he's sort of driving a lot of the action, and he is kind of this mysterious ex-military guy who's yet, who, who knows that whoever is behind the pills has his daughter. And so he's kind of going, you know, encountering anyone he can, trying to, to work his way back to where are the pills coming from so he can find the source because um he knows you know that that's his that's his end goal yeah, yeah and so you see him just sort of you know working his way through and and one interesting thing about the about his character and um I tend I tend to like Jamie Fox as, as an actor I think he I think he's interesting he's an interesting you know multi you know a musician A comedian, even though he's kind of not really thought of as a comedian anymore, but that's kind of, you know, where he starts. And now he's often, you know, I mean, he's an Oscar winning actor. And I don't don't really have any complaints about his performance, but I have some thoughts about the way his character is presented. Because this is another moment where I feel like the movie either isn't aware or is sending just a real mixed message about how I'm supposed to feel about the character of art, because he does these things and he has these moments that I think are meant to tell the audience that in the end, he's a good guy. Like he's, he's out there to, to, you know, he's, he's going to stop at nothing to find his daughter and he doesn't mind, you know, kind of, you know, leaving some.
1: uh, Collateral damage.
0: Busting busting a few bones or getting his hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't mind some collateral damage if that's what it takes to get there. Yeah. But the reality is that I feel like his character becomes quite a vicious, dangerous person. Yeah. Who goes beyond <laughs> what might strictly be necessary for a character to you know who is just determined to to reach the end here and that's a a valid choice for a character someone that we could explore and follow but i think that the movie doesn't really want us to to think of him that way yeah and i'm i, I don't know if you what you're saying do, do you would you agree with that i yeah. mean i feel like there's moments where it's like where he even kind of says like oh you know like i don't want to hurt i don't want to hurt anybody i don't want to do this and that versus like when he goes in for that that scene has so many things to unpack <laughs> the scene we keep talking about with the chamber where biggie's giving the the presentation yeah and i mean he's going to these 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 thugs you know that are essentially just kind of like hired goons who probably don't really have any idea what's going on just <laughs> hired muscle that are you know at the party just telling them to keep out anybody that's not invited and he's just murdering them yeah i mean He's just grabbing people and, mur- you know, he's not he's not putting them in chokeholds. He's not like trying to just get them out of the way. He's just grabbing them and killing them <laughs> yeah. as quickly as he can. That was
1: actually one of the things one of the um, one of the scenes that caused uh, inadvertent laughter for me during that sequence. Uh, like you say, there's no chokeholds, even, even if maybe he does a little silencer, a little to the back, little, little shot to the, to the spine or whatever. And then, and then drag him into the shadows, throw him in a bin or something like that. But no, he, he's in this open chamber with all these rich people sitting around. He walks up to a guy and the guy's like, who are you? He's like, I'm new. And then he just grabs the guy and rams his face down on this weirdly pointy ice sculpture. Uh, and impales the guy's head uh killing him instantly uh he impales a man in 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 broad view of everyone and it's again <laughs> he's not exactly like sneaking around he just kind of walks in sees this guy hey how's it going boom stabbed and then and then he just like Again, he, he leaves the body there. And what ends up giving his cover away is a lady sees the guy impaled on the fountain with blood filling up the drinks. And she screams and that's what sets everything off. So it's like, art, buddy. Yeah, for a guy
0: who is I so... Mean,
1: if you can be savage, at least be clean. Exactly. And
0: he he's so, he's so, he's so canny and so deft. And, you know, I mean, he's essentially... Sometimes improbably going against people with, you know, all these superhuman abilities with basically just the fact that he's, I don't know, that he's super cool, I guess. like <laughs> he, You know, he's he's surviving all these fights and doing all these things just in sort of the, you know, the reason he's surviving is basically that he's the action hero of the story. Well, Bo, he's got and, the power of a father's love. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, so but he's using judgment and coming up with all these plans and doing these things and yeah then all of a sudden he just kind of will do something so brash like you know that's really threatening his chances of accomplishing his goal i mean it's already an uphill battle like he's going against essentially superhumans he's on his own against an organization that has money and manpower and power 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 and (laughs) and he's just he's just a guy with military training, you know? And the fact that he's not, you know, playing it very careful b- becomes sort of, you know, it's it's sort of shockingly, you know, you watch it kind of with this incredulity that, yeah, it might make you inadvertently laugh. Like he just takes this guy. I mean, he doesn't even give the guy a chance to like, you know, he doesn't even like say, oh, I'm a so-and-so, you know, and look at the list or whatever. He just... <laughs> just immediately grabs the guy and impales his head.
1: Yeah. That dude was always going to get impaled on ice. There was no other. Yeah. There was no other recourse. And, and there's a moment because,
0: uh, as we're watching that woman, you know, as you point out, not merely freeze to death, but sort of agonizingly turn to ice as she, you know, withers in pain. Um, we're seeing this interesting circular shot from inside her little, her little glass chamber mm-hmm. of the fight taking place outside, and it allows for some interesting, you know, cinematic, playground kind of stuff where you know we see blood splattering against the glass, and then our view is obscured. Then we get back, and the fight's changed, and it's yeah. you know it's an interesting sequence. To I'm sure it was interesting for them to choreograph and design. But during that sequence, I don't know if you noticed, but you see people just like trying to kind of wander away, just guests at this random thing, you know, they've been invited out and Art will literally just go and grab people. They're trying to get away, pull them back and beat them to death.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, these aren't even people that are trying to stop him from getting to his daughter. This is These are just people that have shown up to some meeting, seen this, this drug thing, and rather than just letting them... Run away to you know to get to his goal. He's stopping, you know. He's taking the time. Yeah. Well, there are other people trying to kill him to to seek out these people and just murder them. And and both these incidents, the way that fight goes and the way the impaling of the head. Um. I don't think this film does it as egregiously as the film that we reviewed a couple episodes ago, Bright, but uh-huh. I think it is guilty of. Some of that design first, cool factor first thinking where you just kind of go with, well, this seems kind of cool. And so we're not really going to think about the consequences that it has to the integrity of the character or the integrity of the story. Yeah. And so, yeah, you just get these sort of shocking moments that really don't fit with who I feel like the film is trying to tell me that art is.
1: Yeah. It's very much at odds. You know, during, during scenes of dialogue, most scenes of dialogue, at least apart from when he like threatens to kill Robin's mother back when they first meet and a few other harsh exchanges uh, for the most part. Yeah. Most of the dialogue paints him as a father seeking his daughter. And it's like, ah, that's, yeah, I can get behind that. Uh, But then you get these moments like that, 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 I don't even want to call it a fight sequence, that murder sequence uh, in the uh, in the exhibition where I mean, I I know I play I'm pretty sure I play more video games than you do, Bo. But there's a there's a a, there's a game series called The Last of Us. Uh, It's a PlayStation exclusive. I I just recently finished The Last of Us 2 part two. I'm not saying as well. Uh, And in both games, it kind of shines a light on who you might be as a player. Where, uh, and it's not exclusive to The Last of Us, there's plenty of games that do this, where there will be stealth sequences, or even just combat sequences, where you're trying to get from A to B, and you'll have players who might charge through from A to B, and they'll kill anybody in their way, and they get to B, and then they're good. And then you get the the completionists, who they don't want to leave until every single character (laughs) patrolling the area is dead and looted. So... (laughs) You get this you get this vibe where art is transitioning constantly between this father figure character looking for his daughter in a movie and a murder hobo player in a game where you could have easily snuck past all these guards. But instead, you've rigged it to to kill every last one of them, because who am I to leave any stone unturned?
0: Yeah. And I suppose the thing that I would stress for anyone who doesn't who doesn't watch the film and the thing that I thought was kind of the most shocking about it is that we're not given that – it's just, again, that we're not given that kind of a character. Mm-hmm. Because I can imagine a character like that. You know, I can imagine a character who's hell-bent on revenge and anyone involved with this drug is going to die. I can imagine a man who you know is carved by violence and violence is the way that he interacts with the world. Yeah, you get a punisher type um, or something. I can also imagine someone who is – who is so ready to to kill that he's you know going to make sure that you know there are no witnesses to anything that he's done, and so he's going to eliminate all of them you know at any cost, whatever it takes to get to his daughter. But none of these are what the film tells me are you know these are not part these are not in the nature of of art of, yeah I don't I mean I mean art the character <laughs> Jamie Foxx but Bo, is not art the concept is
1: art subjective though. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> That was one of
0: the the things that I found, you know, the most shocking is kind of just the way that they, you know, similar to the way that they're dealing with the powers, is the way that they're dealing with sort of the motivations of the of these characters.
1: Yeah, everything I think I feel like everything is very surface level, um, with uh, with the implication of something very violent and dark going on beneath the surface. That as the film goes on, you think may just be a byproduct of the director's subconscious, I guess just the, the, the way the, the lens through which they see the world or something. Cause yeah, a, a lot of this, a lot of the carnage is not implicit, uh, from the outset. I you mean, know?
0: I, and I think that's something to, th- that's something that I wonder about too. I mean, and part of the film, part of filmmaking is, is casting. I think, I think that is mm-hmm. important. So I don't want to be dismissive about the casting Yeah, yeah. because that's a creative choice that was made. And of course, Getting you know the the performance that the actor is giving and the performance that the director is drawing from the actor even perhaps are all parts of part you know parts of the creative process yeah yeah but this is a film where I feel like you know with different casting this this becomes a much worse film because we're dealing with <laughs> you know Jamie Foxx, who is an Oscar winning actor Joseph Gordon Levitt who you know, is is a, a charismatic and talented actor as well, and Dominique Fishback, who uh, I I'm not familiar with really, but I think gives um, a very believable performance. She does for for what she's given. I think she's kind of the yes. breakout role, and and has to do a lot. Yeah, it, it, she has to do there's there's a lot of ground that she has to cover in this film. You know, from rapping and. Uh, running the gamut emotionally, so the casting I think is well done. I don't think n- none of them strike none of the characters, none of the actors that is strike me as wrong for the characters, mm-hmm. and I think they give the story a lot of um, the things that that it does have going for it. But I do feel that um, they are. Kind of working above and beyond what the script is actually providing. Yeah,
1: for. yeah. They give 110%. The, the, the main reason that you feel comfortable giving art the benefit of the doubt uh is thank is largely due to Jamie Foxx's performance. And yeah, same goes for Frank and Robin. They uh, yeah, all, all the actors I thought did pretty well. <laughs> with with one, I'd say one glaring exception for me, personally, was the villain of the piece. Let me remember her name. Uh, Gardner, which really that sums her up right there <laughs> with a name like Gardner. It's pretty clear. The, the malice that, that, that lies beneath the surface played by Amy Landecker, who I recognized from the Amazon show transparent, which I only saw the pilot of. Um, but uh, she's, I mean, that, that show got pretty big. That's probably where most people would recognize her from uh her character my word uh there's there are moments where you feel like she's supposed to be giving a villain's monologue but instead it feels like she's doing a quarterly review of you know annual earnings or something like this and of course once again you could say ah but that's the evil of corporate america you know that's that, that was on purpose because that's how blasé they are about the carnage they leave in their wake. But again, you don't get the impression that that's intentional. You get the impression that they wrote down bad guy says thing and then they left her to <laughs> it and she was just kind of like, eh, oh, whatever. And I guess they would say something like this. Uh, her, her character just kind of stares out the window at things and kind of, I don't, I, I honestly can't think of a single facial expression she makes in the entire film. Just kind of stares blankly ahead uh she's one of the most forgettable characters and there's a moment that I actually have a clip of that I'd like to share it's a bit of her acting a bit of plot that I just I I had to bring it up um in towards the finale of the film they uh they break onto this boat which is the base of operations for the entire thing like everything they're the, the, the testing, the development of the drug, the, the source of the drug, Art's daughter, is kept on this boat. Pretty much everything is on this boat, which, yeah. I mean...
0: Like a massive cargo ship.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a massive cargo ship. And, I mean, I'm no bad guy, government executive type making a dangerous drug and testing it on the masses. But personally, I don't think that a boat <laughs> is the most secure place to keep your entire livelihood, necessarily. Uh, I get the idea of, like, a mobile, you know, a little mobile operation and everything. But they stay, that boat is docked in New Orleans for the duration of the film. I'm guessing the entire time the drug has been rampant uh, in the town. Uh, You would almost think it would be more cost-effective and arguably safer to just move to a new building whenever you go to a new town. And so they're just getting into a boat, limiting yourself to coastal cities and just kind of cruising around, hoping nobody sinks you. Uh, <laughs> which, of course, they do get sunk. Um, well, sorry, spoilers. Now, you know, you know what? We'll just leave that in. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> the good guys win in the end, um, <laughs> if, if you had any doubt. Uh, but there's a sequence where uh, they find Art's daughter And they've everybody, everybody's escaping art, his daughter, Frank, they're on this submarine they're about to leave. And then they realize that Robin is missing and they find out that Gardner, the evil Gardner has got Robin and she is, she's trying to barter, uh, you know, it's, it's the classic, you know, Bond has, you know, Bond villain thing has got like the, the love interest at gunpoint and says, come out Mr. Bond, you know, it's, except even that brief little impression is more charisma than she manages to muster in this entire film. So she summons him out of this little submarine thing and I'll talk about why it's so special after we've played the clip. So let me go ahead and pull it up here.
0: What's that? Was with you.
1: I want Tracy out here now.
0: In the pit, it's not gonna work on you. It's gotta be me.
1: No, 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 Dad. You know what will happen if you do that? I will kill her, Arthur,
0: right now! Right in front of you! All of you out of the boat! Now! March! Hold your fire! I want Tracy out here now! Robin, you all right? Don't talk to her. Let me tell you something, Robin. You did a great job. You saved my daughter's life. Now, you listen up, Doc. You got one chance. You let her go, I'll let you live. This isn't a negotiation.
1: No. It's something else. I told you what was gonna happen, didn't I?
0: Now, you tell me. Am I lying?
1: As far as finales go, I, I love that this one kind of checks all the boxes of every film that's ever done anything like this before, but in the most bland way humanly possible. Uh, specifically, speaking of both writing and performance, she's holding Robin at gunpoint and she says, come out, you know, like bring uh, your daughter. What's What was his daughter's name? I can't remember his daughter's name. She's just said it in the clip. Uh, Tracy. She says, bring Tracy out here now. I want want to see Tracy. He comes out with his hands up and she says, like, she just says, I want to see Tracy. Bring Tracy out here. And then he just kind of ambles forwards with his hands in the air. And she just keeps saying, bring Tracy out. As he walks slowly towards them, this woman has no resolve. Uh, You get the impression she's just, at this point, she's just trying to get to the end of the movie. (laughs) She's like, all right, this is the part where you kill all of us. Come on. Let's, 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 let's go. Let's move it along. Because uh, he, he walks forward and he even says, listen, Robin, you did good today. And she says, don't you talk to her. And then he just keeps talking to her. And, and then the, you know, gardener just stands there and is like, <laughs> whatever. Like, <laughs> I think it's as far as villain monologues go, that's a moment where you kind of expect a monologue, but instead the villain is just kind of like, come on, uh, come on over, come out. And they just kind of stand there quietly watching the main character do their thing, which, by the way, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, Art, he's kind of banking, he's kind of gambling the speed of a bullet versus the speed of a pill traveling down his esophagus, which obviously it it pays off in spades in this movie. But I feel like in re- in reality,
0: not to mention the level, again, of the destruction that he that his power in particular mm-hmm. In and I, I think we sort of get the idea that his is especially destructive, especially powerful. And the people that kind of know what he's capable of uh, are, you know, extra fearful of him. But still, I mean, he takes quite a gamble, I think. I mean, the only as far as I can tell, the only reason Robin survives is sheer plot armor.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you get guys picked
0: off because right and left of her. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention that his daughter's on board. And I mean, I guess it's a last ditch effort. <laughs> so maybe maybe it's getting nitpicky. I, I mean, and that's the thing overall, like it's very fair to say that this movie, you know, this sort of this type of movie, this, these sort of action flicks aren't really, um, you know, I mean, w- you and I <laughs> are not cinema sins you know we're not sitting here (laughs) trying to pick apart little you know every little thing that doesn't really make sense i'm i'm more than willing to give to let a story exist within the world that it creates for yeah and i'm also perfectly willing to accept that you know to be pulled along and um you know things that the movie doesn't invite me or give me the time to think about that I'm I'm not really going to to spend my my time there and and this movie I think just I don't know there's too many incongruities I guess to to be able to really buy into anything one way or the other and so yeah you just sort of get you know like I mean I think there's a version of this film where the bad guy is more flamboyant and maybe even a bit ridiculous because I mean, so many of the things that have happened are kind of flamboyant, but it's sort of, again, jumping, oscillating back and forth between the sort of gritty police drama, like, or not police drama, I guess, but, uh, you know, crime Mm -hmm. drama versus essentially a superhero action flick. And because it's bouncing back and forth, you do get moments where that are kind of wasted where, I mean, when you said that one of the actors that you didn't really care for was the villain of the movie. It took me you know, a good few seconds to remember that there is a villain in the
1: movie. <laughs> as far yeah, as far as villains go, it's it really feels like she's just kind of along for the ride. Uh yeah, and again, it's like you say, she feels like she would be a perfectly serviceable villain in a film about fracking, you know? Uh, (laughs) a lawyer standing up for the little guy or something. And she's just kind of the corporate douche. who's just there to stare you down, but in a, in a superhero film, uh, well, you know, not superhero, but you know, superhero adjacent film, especially considering how nefarious the plot is, you know, from these villains to basically obliterate an already struggling town. They make reference actually to the, uh, Hurricane Katrina in passing in the movie to the the rough history uh, New Orleans has had, you know it's it's a pretty evil plot, and you expect to see a character who is equally evil behind it and not just. I mean, is it evil? Like
0: I'm, I don't understand. <laughs> like I guess that's one of the big things in the end with my probably my my biggest deal with this film with this film is that I I don't really know what the bad guys are, are doing. Like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> like, they're, they're sowing these seeds of chaos. You know, it feels like like I, like this, this power stuff feels like something that Heath Ledger's Joker should be. You know, it feels like the sort of thing that he would want to unleash on Gotham to, to spread all this chaos because he just wants to see mayhem to prove his point about, you know, nihilism and anarchy and all this yeah. kind of thing. Whereas this, I feel like they've got some end game, but I can't like that. They're, they're testing it. And it's like you say, they're, they're giving this powerful demonstration. I mean, what's meant to be a powerful demonstration to to grab buyers for the the pill, which is essentially why, you know, the idea is that they're giving it away to these drug dealers for free. So they can test the ground, so that eventually they can make money off it. You know, yeah. that's what we get, especially from this very sort of corporate esque villain. We get the idea that the end game is money. You know, it's not some, um, you know, it's not some philosophical point. You know, it's not some mentally unstable person trying to, you know, get revenge on the world or something. It's literally, you know, it's a business play. These people are trying to get money with this powerful weapon that they've developed. In the form of this drug. Yeah. But in this demonstration, you know, not they don't grab someone that they know has a power that's impressive. They take a random person and just take the risk of putting them in this cage and seeing, okay, is this person even just going to explode as happens yeah. a moment after that? Yeah. And yet they've got people on their team that seem to know their, power, their powers and use them. And I'm thinking specifically of this sort of very strange guy who can who can like what does he do? He, he pops, he's like a guard on the ship and he, he pops pills and like bones he can like break his bones and kind of like stick them out of his body and like jab people with them <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the other thing is they do they do mention at one point that the power lasts about five yeah. minutes so you take it and you have five minutes of whatever sort of ability it gives you and I'm kind of thinking, like, okay, that's interesting, but but surely a gun is still better than five minutes of knife bones. <laughs> I mean, like, if you're, try, if you're trying to keep someone off the ship, you know, if you're being tasked with this important thing, you know, and you're going against this art guy who's some kind of superhero man just out of his own right, and, you know, your instinct is not to pull out, like, your gun and shoot him, it's to... You know, <laughs> t- dislocate your elbow and try and ram it down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't understand That's Not to that. mention at
1: great cost to you, I'm sure, based on how the fire guy reacted. To exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not just going to... It seems like it's not just going to smoothly go back into place and it'll be as if nothing has happened, considering the toll it takes on everyone No, and doesn't
0: he, in the end, I think, in the end, I think he pulls his signature impaling move and just impales the guy on his own jutting bones.
1: Yeah, he gets impaled on his own bones. (laughs) (laughs) Impaled on your own bones. Who'd have thought that would be a thing that could happen? My word. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah, it it it, it it's very true. The the whole plot, the behavior of the villains, everything about them implies that you need a character like the Joker behind it because they are so chaotic. They are so they are so about uh theatricality and unnecessary risk in favor of something that looks neat. To, yeah, so to have a very boring, unenthusiastic force behind all of this insanity Again, it's just one more thing that adds to the tonal the tonal inconsistency um, which th- there there's one other moment speaking of all this there there's a moment where uh, Rodrigo Santor- Santoro uh biggie yeah Rodrigo Santoro Biggie is talking to Gardner they're about to welcome this South American diplomat drug dealer who knows uh they're welcoming wel- welcoming them onto the runway and he's talking about how he persuaded them and he says. I told them I work for the woman who's going to change the world. And in this brief moment, you get this glimpse of like, does this guy think he's part of like a noble cause? Like, does he think he's part of something great? Because then you get this moment. Gardner is in the foreground. Amy Landecker is in the foreground, just kind of, you know, staring out the window the same way you would stare through the window of a microwave while your hot pocket heats up. She just kind of he says the woman who's going to change the world and she just kind of glances over at him. And it's almost kind of like the expression on her face is almost as if to say, huh, yeah, I guess you're right. We are changing the world. <laughs> 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 it's, yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> this, was a, this was a story in need of a story, I think. There was, there was really nothing that compelling going on with.
0: Yeah. Here, here's what fixes the movie for me you find some you find a little bit of consistency on which way you want to lean the designs but you know you, you keep your special effects team you keep your your protagonists who i think have interesting motivations you know i'm interested in the character of robin mm-hmm. and you know her kind of it's inter- she's her her sort of underdog thing and she's you know raising money by dealing drugs but it's for her mother and that's complicated and she wants to be um you know a rap star and she actually gets to you know to lay lay out some rhymes and and those are all interesting and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character um you know he burn I mean Joseph Gordon-Levitt is an interesting actor and he's one of these guys that burns like a you know if every human has like a light bulb inside them his is like 40 watts higher than anyone else's <laughs> and he just sort of exudes his, his charisma but he's got this interesting place where he's dabbling with the drug but he's kind of doing it because he has to be able to compete with criminals who you know can you know climb up walls and do whatever mm-hmm. else and yeah and then you've got Art who's who's pursuing his daughter and I think had we had they taken the time to give the um, the villains Either to make them sort of a shadowy corporation that we kind of don't know much about, or at least, or to, or to go and make them um, someone who has as nuanced or as clear a motivation as the protagonists mm-hmm. do, then I think we'd have a much better story here to play around with this idea. And it could even go in the direction of being, you know, whatever it wants to be. If it wants to go more gritty, if it wants to be more cautionary, or if it wants to be more of a, just a big blockbuster action fling then it can do that but yeah this weird middle ground and the poorly developed uh antagonists leave the whole thing feeling sort of um but empty just sort of baggy and and not entirely unlike the unfortunate jowls of a once massive biggie biggie gets big that just hit me
1: (laughs) hey i get it
0: that's his thing that was
1: actually i'm with you (laughs) i didn't get that till my second viewing uh they called him biggie oh biggie (laughs) very nice When, when you think about it each of the three protagonists do have a a common theme robin selling drugs to help her mom Frank doing drugs to help stop the drug dealers and art murdering literally everyone to get to his daughter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you have each of these three characters who are doing bad things for good reasons, basically. And there's, again, you could, if the villain had a motive, even remotely fleshed out, you could have had a nice little, again, if we're, if they wanted to lean into camp, you could have, you could have easily had a, you know, we're not unlike you and i mr art you know we we both want good things and we know our limitations you have like a little like you know they could say like look i'm just like you you know we're doing bad things for good reasons and you could have kind of a cool contrast a little comparison or something but yeah it's a movie that feels brainless but with a big empty skull that feels like a big brain should have been there just rattling around <laughs> i will say um well no i, I I assigned this to you, Bo, so you go ahead and go first. I like, what what do you think? Who, who, who do you think would get the most, the most bang for their buck out of, out of a viewing of power?
0: You know, I mean, I think if you're a a fan of, of Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Jamie Foxx, you know, maybe, maybe you're tuning in. Uh, I don't think this film has made much of an effect. You know, it's, it's only a few weeks old, you know, it's brand new. And, but you know, I've I've mentioned it to a couple of people. You know that we were reviewing it for the podcast, and no one knew what movie I was talking about. <laughs> you know, they hadn't heard of it, so it doesn't seem to have um, to be making a, a big splash. And I'm not too surprised because, really, it's in the end, it's fairly generic. There are some interesting things going on. There's a lot of sort of untapped potential, but you know, it's just kind of riding the line between it's it's similar to x-men it's similar to other kind of superhero action flicks it's not doing anything too daring so who do i think it's for i think i think this is to me this is sort of the the definition of one of those kind of bad sorry to say <laughs> action films that you might just just turn on just to kind of have something going and it's not it's not nearly – I mean, that with the performances and several things going on, it's not nearly bad enough to be like, you know, full-out MST3K hate-watching kind of a thing. But it's kind of riding that line in a weird way. So I would say you can tune in for for good performances. But really – Just about everywhere else, it's kind of a miss for me, and I'd have a, I'd have a a problem kind of recommending it to anyone with, with any uh, sincerity. Like maybe, maybe a little bit of an irony watch or something. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Uh, I was just thinking about this as you were describing this. I've talked to, uh, you know, you. Reddit forums and talking to people in person, I've gotten a similar vibe from people who saw both this and Bright, where they said, you know, I'd I, I just like to see a sequel that builds on this concept more. I've had people say that, especially with Bright. But to me, I don't, I don't want a sequel. I want to go back in time and tell them to do a better job making this movie. Uh I'm not left I'm not left wanting to know more about what's gonna happen next. I just want a better version of what we got. Um I will say I did enjoy Project Power more than I enjoyed Bright. Uh but you know
0: Yeah. That's the characters are stronger.
1: Characters are stronger, yeah, but absolutely the characters are stronger in this one. And, you know Yeah, with with a cast like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon Levitt and uh Dominique Fishback... It's a great cast. They have a lot of fun. Uh, I will say, um, I have indulged the Marvel Cinematic Universe more than Bo has, so I could tell you from a, a person who is who is kind of deeply entrenched in the the gray palette of pop culture blockbusters <laughs> we've had lately. Uh, if if you find yourself being a an almost impulsive follower of superhero films and you want a slight change of scenery, I think you might enjoy it. Uh, in fact, I would say, if you are the type to enjoy a Marvel film, and not... And, and if you don't leave a Marvel film saying, like, ah, it was fun, but that story was kind of... Uh, if you're not the type to say that, you may actually get more out of Project <laughs> Power than we did. Uh, because the story is not demanding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> It's... Uh, so if, if, you, if, you, if you're looking for some escapism while also feeling a bit edgy, like almost kind of like the Marvel superhero films are your parents who want you to go to college and, and uh, Project <laughs> Power is that rebellious uh, girlfriend or boyfriend you found who makes you feel alive again for a fleeting moment before you come crashing down again. Gosh. That's what this is. That's what Project Power is. So uh, <laughs> you may enjoy it. I don't. I honestly I I don't think it's a terrible movie. Like Bo says, I think it's just a it's just a movie that happens and it ends and it's over.
0: I would say the Marvel thing, yeah, I think I think it is similar to a Marvel movie. Maybe if you trade like some of the the zingers and witticisms of a Marvel movie and replace those with a bit more um Blood <laughs> blood and murder, then that's about the balance of it. I think. yeah,
1: and actually that reminds me we should probably have a have a, a forewarning, a precaution to any listeners. i I will say if you are the type to enjoy Marvel films but you don't like the hard R type thing, uh, heads up. This is a very, very, very violent movie. They do not they do not uh, kid around with the gore effects in this movie. Um, which is kind of funny because the profanity is very much PG 13. You even have a few moments where somebody says like, take that mother. And then they get cut off, you know? So they're, they're coy about the profanity, but they are very liberal with the, uh, with the copious amounts of blood and viscera that go flying around. So fair warning, this is not content wise. It is not on par with a Marvel film. They go a bit above and beyond, uh, (laughs) in the, in the violence department. Uh, so yeah, uh, Thanks for thanks for watching Project Power, Bo. I knew you had it in you. I knew uh, I knew you could do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, always. So, m- my response to to Project Power is a film that was recently adopted by the Criterion Collection, um, also with a big well known star, um, also to do with police, also to do with drugs, also to do with action and that movie is police
1: story Mm. so in police story jackie chan this is a jackie chan film from his early days uh he plays oh gosh i have you know we have a we have a mutual friend who speaks mandarin he's gonna he's gonna cringe if he hears how i pronounce this name because i know in the subtitles it's spelled kakui 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 k-a hyphen k-u-i I hear, I, I see Kakui, uh, but as with most uh, Chinese films I watch with subtitles, what's written on the screen and what they say are at odds in my mind, so I don't actually know how his name sounds. Uh, I'm just going to say it's Kakui. Uh, he is a rough and tumble cop in the Royal Hong Kong Police Force. Uh, at the start of the film, his department is pulling a sting on the infamous crime lord Chu Tao, who is a drug dealer. Uh, his gang is pulling a little, a little deal, and they're they're performing a sting on him, which ends messily. It ends in a in a very exhilarating and fun spirited chase, and uh, it ultimately leads to a contentious court case between Chu Tao and Kakui's police department. Um, so, one of the key witnesses in this case, in this court case that they get wrapped up in, is uh, Tao's personal secretary Selena Fong uh, she's this you know beautiful uh, fairly new he uh, Tao even mentions at one point that he you know he barely knows her she was only on for a short while and Kakui Jackie Chan's character is tasked with protecting her until the court hearing and he also kind of a a, a side assignment of getting a testimony out of her but she is uh, she's initially uncooperative. He ends up pulling a couple of hijinks to make her feel like she might be more in danger than she is, and that gets her to to trust him a bit more. But ultimately, there's a, they have a fairly rocky relationship as far as protector and witness go. And basically, over a series of uh, amazingly choreographed action sequences and some silly slapstick gags, we we follow Kakui as he tries to protect this witness and just help take the crime Lord down. And it's this, and I, it's a, it's a pretty broad summary, but it goes through a lot of story beats. There are some major plot points that redirect the entire thing that happened. I'd say three quarters into the film where uh, the villain's goal pivots a bit, um, but it's not, it's not necessarily inconsistent. It's just, they cover a lot of ground. Um And I gotta say, this was actually, believe it or not, this was my first Jackie Chan film from before he went, you know, all Americanized before he started making kind of American blockbuster films.
0: Oh, the, his so one of his proper Chinese you, films. This is yes, the first so this 22. was my
1: first. This was my first proper Chinese Jackie Chan film. This was my first non rush hour, non Shanghai noon, non around the world in eighty days yeah. Jackie Chan. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to say, I I very much enjoyed it. It was. I, I'm sure we're gonna talk about this in a bit um our our most recent episode before this one we talked about the cameraman, which was a Buster Keaton film, and we talked a bit about yeah. silent film stars yep. and that whole vaudeville thing. but would you say uh as far as as far as Jackie Chan's approach to things i mean am i am I crazy like would w- would you say would you would you feel comfortable comparing him to somebody like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and, and the like?
0: Let me tell you this I read somewhere. Um, I don't know if it's true, but I read a quote from Jackie Chan saying, like, one of the main things that he would like to do is to become as appreciated as to be Buster Keaton. Like, he compares compares himself to Buster Keaton, putting Buster Keaton as his goal. Really? So, yes, I think it's very appropriate. And I was also going to make some of the same comparisons. Oh. Because, yeah, you do have – you have two artists who – who understand, I think, the medium that they're that they're in. You know, they're not only dealing with... Um, Buster Keaton's coming from vaudeville and starting from a very young age doing action. I don't know Jackie Chan's full life story, but obviously he's training from a young age in martial arts. And then both of them are sort of finding their ultimate playground in cinema. Yeah. And realizing that here... In cinema is where they can really do what it is they want to do. And I think both of them understand – the thing about them is in addition to being – to but the, to the two of them being great performers and great athletes, they are both great directors. Yes. Which I think is something that really makes the difference because they 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 very much understand how to use the medium of cinema to – Present the jokes and to tell the story that they're trying to tell you rather than just sort of allowing the camera to observe them doing things that they could, you know, just as easily do in like a live performance. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're getting here, you know. um, Yeah. Although I'm sure that Buster Keaton and Jackie Chan would both have been great live, (laughs) what they're doing requires cinema. Yeah. You know, it, it takes the camera to accomplish. What it is that they that they are doing, and so yeah, yeah, I think it's a obviously the style of film has you know major differences, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's perfectly fair to compare Jackie Chan with Buster Keaton. I think yeah, there are things to be to be mined in that comparison.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually I, I watched I have watched and rewatched the film with with Jenny with my wife. And we agreed we want to we want to get into a Jackie Chan binge after this and catch up on all of the older films that we haven't seen because that's not to say his his American films. Well, there's about
0: four. There's like four sequels. That's to right, Story, yeah. Police you know.
1: Story has an extensive series, so we're excited to get into that. I've always heard about Drunken Master. Want to get into that now as well? It's like you say the uh, as a director, it's kind of fun actually that, to see how far back this tradition started of Jackie Chan sharing bloopers at the end of his film. Uh, Because in this one, you see at the end of Police Story, you see a lot of fun, not even necessarily just silly bloopers. There's lots of just cool behind the scenes of him working as a director, him choreographing stunts with people and working through it with them. And yeah, I'm sure there's it's no mistake that he and Buster Keaton were both kind of auteurs who had this this little biome that they created, this little this little isolated creative space where they could just fully realize their vision. And I think that's not to say that Jackie Chan's films in America, that's not, I I love, I love the rush hour movies. They're fun, you know, but, and Jackie Chan is just a delight to watch anywhere, especially when I'm sure he has a hand helping in the choreography. I don't want to spread any, I don't want to tell any tales out of school, but I, I I have a feeling that any film that he gets involved in, he has some say in the choreography, especially seeing how hands-on he was with police story. But there is something about police story that feels a bit more unbridled and a bit more pure as far as his vision's concerned. And uh, one of the things that I think he has in common with Buster Keaton is that they both seem to delight in eliciting gasps from the audience. Because I'd say both in the cameraman and in police story... You'd be laughing at how silly some stunt just was, and then the very next minute you'd just be gasping, because you cannot believe they just did that. And you're wondering, did somebody get hurt filming this, you know? And that's one of the fun things about watching Jackie Chan's bloopers, is yes, people do get hurt, usually Jackie Chan. <laughs> There's lots of clutching at ribs, yes. and oh, ah! <laughs> It's, a. Uh, Yeah, like in particular, you know, you get these moments, these there's some fight scenes in police story. It's such a delightful. I don't think I've seen it anywhere else in any other film with a martial arts emphasis where you get this equal blend of gorgeously choreographed and impressive action and genuine, silly goofball, silent film silliness.
0: Yeah, I think that's one it's something that Jackie Chan I think really capitalized on. And you know, I yeah, I can't speak authoritatively because I haven't seen enough of, you know, of sort of martial arts movies to say whether there are other people who who do this. But the thing about Jackie Chan is, you know, it's you know, you watch something like uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, right? And there's there's the beauty and the eloquence of the choreography and the movements and the rhythm of the fighting. But the thing that's interesting about about what Jackie Chan does is he does, he he brings all of that, but he, he purposefully undermines it by the, you know, the pain that his character goes through (laughs) by the, by the, the silliness of what's happening. You know, it's still so brilliant, brilliantly timed and elegantly choreographed, but he's sort of like this, you know, he's, He's the like a pinball thrown into the into the machine and everything else is working, and he's the one just sort of getting battered about. It's almost like he sets up this rattling around. this nice world of all these people who are kind of working elegantly and then he's the misshaped cog that goes into the machine and just sort of gets thrashed about. Yeah.
1: And I love I'm I'm sure that there's a lot of meticulous hard work that goes into creating a lot of these sequences, but the, the choreography is such that it feels very improvised. There's a, a very early sequence during that sting gone wrong uh, when they're chasing down Chu Tao. Jackie Chan, Kakui, he's chasing after a double-decker bus uh, that these bad guys have escaped on. Yeah. And this is within the first ten, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. It's like the, basically the beginning sequence. He's chasing this thing on foot in a way that is convincing to me. Yeah. And he ends up, he snags an umbrella and uses the hooked handle to kind of, it it actually reminded me of Buster Keaton specifically when he kind of hooks onto the back and he sort of lifts his legs up and he's kind of dangling and trying to kick his legs around and he scurries up the side of this bus using this umbrella. And there's a moment where just thinking about how they shot this particular sequence, it's basically just a throwaway gag he's hanging off this bus from the umbrella while the bad guys are trying to get at him and kick him and punch him and shove him off the the bus. And then the bus drives down this section where there's a lot of heavy traffic. And then Jackie Chan has to basically constantly lift his legs straight up in the air to avoid the roofs of these cars and eventually has to like run across the top of some of them. And it's just, you know, you get a few multiple camera angles and stuff. And just thinking about the work it would take to just choreograph that one little bit, which is basically just a gag amidst an overall very impressive action sequence. I'm excited to get into his other movies because police story is just, to me, it's just dripping with love from Jackie Chan. It's just, you can tell that he, he really cares about you having a good time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I think that, I mean, I just sort of want to uh, underline what you just said. I think that he, he really does, you know, he's, He's very much thinking of the audience and how to give them the best experience, and what does he need to do to to give that to them? And he's will- he's basically willing to do whatever it is, you know, whether that means you know breaking his hand or whatever it's going to take to 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 elicit the reaction that he wants. He's he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to jump into this because y- you mentioned this, and you know, again, in the comparison between Keaton and Chan. And uh, you tapped into, I don't know if you were aware or not, but yeah, there is a sort of a, a freedom going on that I think relates to Buster Keaton. And that's when we spoke about when, when Buster Keaton was working his, with his sort of independent studio where he was given creative freedom. He was make, That's when he was making his, his masterpieces because he had the time... To shoot it the way that he wanted it to be done and to follow his vision and to do these big bombastic things and so on and so forth and to put himself at risk if he so desired. And when Chan was working in China or in Hong Kong, he's given the budget to shoot fight sequences for months. Like he will take months to shoot a fight sequence. Really? Really? and then he's able to cut it the way that he wants to cut it and that's what gives you the, gives this glorious rhythm to his to his scenes you know i mean and allows him to incorporate all these kind of side gags and use his environment to you know i mean that's one of the things that Jackie Chan is famous for right is he's he uses everything that's in the room you know he's going to grab the the phone and he's going to you know wield the corded phone like nunchucks or something you know he's he's going to find some way to Incorporate his environment into the fight, and that's going to fuel his his creativity. And you get to see him do all these things and 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 play in this way that he doesn't really get to in his American films, where the cutting is so different. And I, I should say that a lot of this, you know, is not my fresh observation. You can tune into things that we've mentioned before, and we're going to play clips from later on. Uh, channels like Every Frame a Painting, where they kind of analyze Jackie Chan, and and you'll see a lot of these, you know, these observations. These aren't you know hot takes, as yeah. it were, but you know, th- yeah, that environment that you got to play with was very much reminiscent of Keaton. And you know, I, you know, that's of course, I'm not saying that you know Jackie Chan, you know, uh, did some Hollywood movies and then like it destroyed his career or, or anything like that, but. There is certainly a difference that he comments on as well, he himself, you know, in working in Hollywood and the way that they cut sequences and the way that they drive action and just the rhythm is different. And he didn't – it wasn't, you know, what he loved and it certainly didn't yield the rich results of something like Police Story. And, you know, thinking of just action films in general, I mean, again, (laughs) the whole conceit of this podcast is unfair comparisons. (laughs) But I mean, thinking about like thinking about the fight scenes in in uh, Project Power.
1: Power Project.
0: Yeah. Project (laughs) Power. Project Power. Wait. Which one is it? Dang it. Bo. Is it Project Power? It's been Power Project this whole time. Project Power.
1: No, yeah, it's Project Power. (laughs) Okay, don't. You're messing with me.
0: Okay, Project Power. (laughs)
1: Listeners, tune in to (laughs) Gaslight Bo with me.
0: In Project Power, Jamie Foxx literally goes like fisticuffs with a burning man. And you don't really, but they, they never really play with any of that. You know, there's not really any consequence to him, Yeah, you know, punching flames. <laughs> Whereas Jackie Chan is constantly having to deal with his environment. You know, yeah. it's, it's not, it's never just here we are in a new place and he's got to fight these guys. The environment is very much yeah. a piece of what's happening and the cutting, you know, with, with Jamie Foxx, fighting and being cool in his movie. You know, it's basically a lot of you cut you cut away and you cut back and he strikes a new pose with his gun and you cut away and you cut back and he, you know, throws a punch and you cut away and you cut back where Jackie Chan always lets, because, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to fault. I have no idea what what um, Jamie Foxx's athleticism is. I mean, clearly he's fit, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to fault somebody for not being... <laughs> Jackie Chan you know I mean clearly he's a Mm. martial arts genius and a person who's willing to put himself out on the line stunt wise and so on and you know that's not yeah but not quite Chan enough yeah that's that's not what every actor's (sighs) shtick is but but just seeing the way those sequences are filmed you know that feels like you know you're really yeah (laughs) you're getting your money's worth (laughs) you know for this action film like
1: yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very true. It, it, like, it, it's it's really it's really cool to see because you get um, from what I've heard, I think I've even seen the clip. Drunken Master. You you have a a very infamous fight scene where he well infamous famous beloved fight scene where he he incorporates a an entire standing ladder like one of those big metal construction ladders. He uh, yeah he uses it as a martial arts weapon essentially. Oh yeah. Um yeah. And you get a lot of these moments, like you say, where you know using the environment, every single thing. There's, there's a sequence about midway through where he's with the witness when he's with Selena. Hold on, double check. Selena, uh, the witness. He's escorting her, and <laughs> oh man, this scene I'd complete. I'd, I'd forgotten this detail about it. Uh, they're arguing in the car, and then they hit a baby carriage and a person walking their baby, and the stroller goes flying. And for a brief instance, you're just like, wow, (laughs) it was a similar feeling that you have to the cameraman when Buster Keaton falls on a monkey and seems to kill it. You know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, did I just see something happen? And uh, it turns out it's an ambush. Um, And what follows is this this fight sequence that's just you get Jackie Chan running around the car, yelling at her to pull his gun out of his jacket pocket that she's wearing. And he's like fighting off guys as he's talking to her and trying to get her to do it. And there's a there's a moment in the fight where (laughs) I think Jackie Chan, I think he has a thing against windows and glass because every fight scene, I think every single glass surface has to go by the end. There has to be somebody thrown through it or punched (laughs) through it or something, because towards the end of this fight, there's a bad guy who's who's in the car that that came at them. He 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 stands on top of his car and he does this, like this diving drop kick through the windshield of the other car, all in one unbroken shot. And I think again, it's the editing, it's the setup, it's the way the cameras used that that keeps your jaw on the floor throughout the entire thing. You're laughing at how silly and absurd this is, and as you're laughing, suddenly you see Jackie Chan just jump through a windshield to kick a dude, all in real time. And it's again, that's not. <laughs> he 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 built the set he built the sequence and then he he the fight was choreographed entirely around the scenario uh,
0: for what it's worth I think that's probably my favorite fight scene in the or action sequence in the film it just goes the way it escalates and the rhythm just the the pacing of it the way you know he hits it and then the the comedy that you get to have going through it it's just I think it's a pure example of you know what he was he was best at yeah
1: that's what he's all about
0: and you know you're mentioning the you know the way that it's choreographed and orchestrated and we've you know been talking a little bit about uh, about that and i think it's interesting because we it, it sort of mirrors i think what we see with with jackie chan's protagonists usually the parts that he plays is you know he goes in and he doesn't he doesn't win. I mean, he he's he's very creative in his way, but he doesn't win out of being like. It, it's a lot of it is is his perseverance. Yeah, like it's the way that he's able to just endure and keep going through everything that's you know literally thrown at him, <laughs> that uh, is the reason why he's able to to win the day, and I think that sort of mirrors the way that Jackie Chan himself, the man, uh, approaches his his filmmaking. Or at least that's the way he puts it, and I'm wondering if we can we can jump to Michael. Absolutely. Whatever you do, do the best you can because the film live forever. No, because you know that day raining and the actor don't have time. I said, would you go to every theater to tell the audience? No, the audience in on the theater. Good movie, bad movie. That's all. And the most difficult thing is when I. Throw the fan and coming back. More than 120 tick. Those kind of scenes. Wow, oh, Jackie, good. It's not good. You can do it. Except, do you have the patience or not?
1: You know, it's funny. That bit he talks about, you could do it. You just need to have the patience. That made me think of Buster Keaton where, and we may have even already mentioned this, about how he refused to do anything that took more than one take, right? He wanted it to be natural. And then you have, this is kind of the antithesis of that almost, where it's, Try, 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 until.
0: well, I think what would happen is I, I I'm not sure that that's what it meant with with Buster Keaton as much as if if it can't be pulled off.
1: ah, like multiple cuts.
0: You know, if you have to do cutting and things to make it work, then he didn't he didn't want to do it. And obviously with some of the things that Buster Keaton was doing, You know, it was very difficult to try and do it again. Like you know, when he's having a wall dropped on him or something, yeah. And they don't have a bunch of walls. But yeah, see, so so here, you know, we have Jackie Chan in in two clips uh, talking about his process and two points that I've that I've always loved. The first one I heard a long time ago and has always stuck with me, where he's, you know, saying that, you know, how easy it is, in and you know, this is something that I think every human experiences in whatever endeavors you're in. How easy it is to kind of to cut yourself some slack, you know, and just be like, well, you know, this is this is how it went. And it was a it was a rough day and so on and so forth. And, you know, that may work for some things in life. You know, we can't (laughs) we can't live full throttle all the time. But, you know, that's part of the genius of Jackie Chan's films is like he says, you know, he's no like if you can, then you've got to keep trying and get it you know in his ethos is to get it right he said you know no matter how many times it takes he's going to do it because you don't have the advantage you know because as much as the there may be a meaningful backstory and all this baggage and all these things that you're taking in when you make the film what the audience gets is what the audience gets and that's the product that you put up on the screen and you don't get to go around like he says and tell them that well, actually, funny thing on this day, you know, this and this happened, and that's why, you know, it's a, you this know, this was
1: real hard. Yeah,
0: that that's not the way that you become, you know, a megastar like Jackie Chan. The way that you do that is by by pushing, you know, to to make it to his meticulous level of perfection. Yeah, and then segueing right into to the other clip where he's talking about, you know, he says. He, he brings up an example of one of his films, how he throws a fan that like whips around a certain way and then he catches it. and He says over 120 takes, you know, <laughs> to get that right. And he gives the, you know, his uh, surely much too humble statement that anyone can do it. It's just whether you have the patience. And, you know, I doubt that because, <laughs> the, you know, the, he, I mean, the level of athleticism that he has. But. But you do see, I mean, some of the things that he's doing, you know, some of his gags that they show you are just think, you know, it doesn't involve like being able to run up a wall and do a flip and then land on some guy's head. Some of it's just, you know, him like flicking a pencil and it landing yep, in a I was cup just say, yeah, or kicking you know? a phone. I mean, it's something, something exactly that whole scene. There's a whole scene where he's kind of left in charge of the of the police station. He has to answer all these phones and take all these notes and it develops into all these, you know, ridiculous gags. And, you know, that's not a, that's not a fight sequence. It's not beyond, you know, it's not something where you can look and say like, ah, only Jackie Chan could do that in the sense that, you know, that I'm not me. I'm not, you know, strong enough or trained in martial arts enough. You know, what he's doing is something where you can kind of go like, well, conceivably, yes, I could do this. Like theoretically, I can do all the stuff that he's doing with the phones and the pencils, but you know, do do I have the timing and the patience to go through it again and again and again and again until yeah. it works. And I think that's sort of what you know his the message that he tries to to convey is that in addition to his skill and his genius and his planning, he's also just got this patience and perseverance. Experience. Which, again, I think he infuses into the characters that he plays. His characters are very much people who are just going to keep going through it Mm -hmm. and not give up. I mean, the scene, that bus chase that you talked about (laughs) um, near the beginning where he, he, you know, he goes after. the. I mean, essentially what's happening and and half the joke even is just that this guy is not giving up. Like the characters, (laughs) the bad guys got in a bus and they drove away. He's on foot. (laughs) You know, they, the scene's over. <laughs> they they went off uh, exactly. You know, and he goes around. Uh, they go around a mountain through all this stuff. It's like there's no. Like the fact that he continues, and the fact that in all its silliness, they make his his continuing chase on foot of this bus somehow plausible is what makes it's so fascinating to watch
1: i love that and, it, and again like you say that philosophy that he talks about in those interviews it really shows it really comes through in his work and it to me it's actually it's inspiring in in a lot of ways not just in not just regarding filmmaking the the conversation about you know having the patience to get it right and then also knowing that you're not going to be there in every theater to, to to explain to people why it's not as good as it could have been or something that's something where i mean for me Probably my two greatest passions right now are are writing and drawing. Those are two things that I really enjoy doing. Uh and and this podcast, of course. <laughs> no, but uh
0: <laughs> Yeah, you have no you have no idea how many times we recorded this episode to get it this good.
1: <laughs> this is yeah, this is session number number 37 trying to get this episode just right. <laughs> so what you're hearing is literally the best we could do. I hope that makes you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, but really, um, there there have been times where I'll show a, a drawing or a, a piece of literature I'm working on, an outline for a story or something, or back when I was in college working on a, a short film that I made, sharing outlines with teachers and students and peers, and just you know saying, hey, what do you think? And a lot of a, there were plenty of times where I, the re- reaction I would get was, this doesn't make any sense. What? Did, why is he doing this? this like, they'd be like, okay, look, it's It's because of this and this and this. And I had to explain something that to me is obvious, but I have to kind of explain the context for why, no, this story isn't nonsensical. It makes sense because of this or that. And I, you know, after time number three or four of having to explain the context for why a scene matters, or even just defending the content of it to somebody who says it's no good, you eventually have to realize, okay, well, you know, it's like he says, I can't, if this is going to be something I want published, I'm not going to release. It's not going to come with an editor's note of, by the way, this was really hard. Uh, please be gentle. You know, yeah. Thanks for paying twenty dollars for this New York Times bestseller or whatever. But uh, you know, take it easy on me. This, writing's hard. So the it, it's it's a nice little splash of cold water in the face. It's a little dose of reality to remember that in the end, the only product that ends up with people is what they see. And if that doesn't hit them if that doesn't sing to them right away, go back. Yeah. Get it right, try again, don't take it personally. Just yeah, remembering that you have to you whatever you whatever you're going to show the world, you need to create a product that you know can stand on its own and that and that people will get what you are going for within a second of seeing it.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's how you get to that's how you get to the top because well, what's interesting is we talk about the film standing alone and having to stand alone in, and sell its message. And I think that's I think that's right. But what you do find is with, you know, people like uh, Buster Keaton, people like Jackie Chan in enough or in, in a different way, people like Orson Welles or Werner Herzog, they're the story of what they're doing and how they do it and their personalities do get infused Mm -hmm. into the film and do add to it. You know, in the same way that you watch a Jackie Chan film knowing that he's actually doing everything himself, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it'd be hard to convince yourself that something was CG with Jackie Chan. But, you know, that's part of the appeal of the film. But that doesn't happen unless you've already laid that groundwork. Like, you don't become... A famous legend, essentially, like Jackie Chan, where people are viewing your films with all this extra stuff that adds to the wow factor, unless you, you know, went through the the painstaking work of becoming that person in the first place and making your first hits back when nobody knew who you were. Yeah. And I think as well uh, to say that, you know, as we're talking about sort of this uh, perfectionism and vision and trying again and no excuses – um, you know I think that a lot of it is is what about is what makes it you know most effective on the screen what what resonates? Mm-hmm. And you know if that requires a lot of extra work, then it's going to require a lot of extra work. But see what Jackie Chan is able to do, I think, is create films that are astounding to anyone, accessible yet you can know about filmmaking or, um, pay attention to nuance and be thrilled by the craft and artistry of what's happening. But their appeal is very broad. You know, uh, similar to a Buster Keaton thing, uh, you know, if and uh, anytime that Jackie Chan isn't maybe getting too violent, I think you can set da- sit down kids and they're going to be just as engrossed as adults watching Jackie yeah, Chan. Yeah. You know. They're going to follow, you know, they're going to follow his big cartoonish acting and the action sequences. And they're going to know what's going on just about as well as you need to, to follow any of the stories. And they're going to laugh at all the same places just about as any adult would watching it. And, you know, that takes a certain kind of genius to have that broad of an appeal. And I don't think it's something that every movie needs to have. I think that you can have films that, you know require a couple watches to really kind of pin it down that are sort of nebulous and vague. I think those films can have their place. Mm -hmm. But it certainly takes an astounding amount of craft and talent to make something that can just be put out there like that, that can be easily accepted and accessible and yet have such uh, richness to it also
1: yeah that's the 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 mark of a master craftsman i think this is actually this this i can i can't explain why but somehow this sparked into my mind something that that i had thought about as i was watching it um getting a, a little away from the how and into the what just a bit the going back to the story just a tad in my mind as i was watching it especially on my second on my second watch through it dawned on me that police story was basically a much pluckier and charming and lighthearted Chinese version of dirty Harry, where you have kind of this, the, the cop who's sick of the restraints of the system and has to go around, you know, has to work his way around the rules and stuff. And you get this line early on during the sting where, uh, you know, somebody tells Kakui, Jackie Chan's character, they tell him, you know, be careful not to shoot, be careful where, where you're aiming, don't hit civilians. And he says, they're not, They're not aiming as if to say like, you know, while we're being careful, they're killing us, you know, but then one of them says, that's why we're policemen. And, uh, you get this, this vibe there, there are quite a few times where he kind of has to go, uh, you know, around the law, but in such a way that he's still loyal to his department and everything, but, uh, you know, they, especially the court case, the court, the the, the court case surrounding that's kind of the pivotal moment of the movie around which a lot of things hinge. Uh, this really cocksure kind of douchey lawyer is defending Chu Tao, the uh, the crime lord. And it's, it's almost kind of aggravating to watch as he as he casts aspersions on <laughs> the character of this cop who clearly, you know, chased down and caught this criminal and has him dead to rights. And uh, by the by the end of that sequence, you know, the bad guy's free, um, which, again, it's kind of like, ah, this lousy legal system, you know, if only, you know, we could uh, you know, go about it the old fashioned way. And I, I wanted to ask, Bo, do you, I mean, do you think that that's more just for the fun entertainment value aspect of having kind of a loose canon cop character? Or do you think? I mean, like, uh, like, like, for example, the, the finale of the movie. And by finale, I mean literally the last 20 seconds of the movie. Jackie Chan, he wails on the lawyer. He decks these other... Like, he just goes nuts, like, knocking out all these villains who, until this point, have been more or less like, ah, uh-uh, you can't touch me. The rules say you can't, kind of thing. And it, it basically, like, ends on a freeze frame of them trying to pull him back from going nuts on... Chu Tao. Yeah. Uh, so do you think it's, I mean, is it, do you think it has anything to say about that? That, that, or do you think it was mainly just a vehicle to, to channel these fun antics?
0: I don't know, Chris. It's, it's really a sort of startling aspect of the film yeah. because yeah, you are watching, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of this like touch of evil, problematic police thing that that's going on. I think in both, both films that we reviewed, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have a character who we're supposed to be in sympathy with, who, yeah, they're really sort of, you know, particularly right now in, you know, in current world and nation politics, where um, we're really looking at policing and what that, and what that Mm. means and what sort of authority police, actually ought to have and what level of accountability and yeah it's really sort of jarring to to watch that play out yeah and um we won't go back into project power and dice too far into that and that film is already sort of dealing with you know um inconsistencies Mm -hmm. we talked about but yeah in police story it 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 did come across to me as very, you know, the scene where he takes his police captain hostage, like uses him as a shield to to escape. Yeah. And sort of everything happening after that and this kind of like breakdown of his character. Sorry, I mean, his character has a breakdown almost. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to know exactly where to place it. And I, I should say that I haven't seen <laughs> the police story sequels yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, especially with the way that the one ends, I don't know if it kind of picks up and carries through with that theme and kind of takes us somewhere with it. But I will say that it did it did strike a a jarring note for me because we're essentially watching this guy go through all sorts of of hell to, you know, albeit in a, you know, sort of plucky, silly, uh, fascinating way as he's going through all this Mm -hmm. stuff. To, to do his job and you know pulling no pulling no punches and also um taking anything that anything that comes his way like anything he has to do way above and beyond the the call of duty yeah yeah but then you kind of see him go into this place where like I wasn't even sure what the I I was confused too I, I guess I don't have yeah. an answer because it's it feels like the film is sort of critical of him like it's sort of looking at him saying you know, like he's kind of going too far. Like he's like, what's happening to this guy? Yeah. But but I don't feel it really follows that, you know, and it's too out of left field to suddenly like, we're now going to take this, you know, cartoonish story and make this character somehow unlikable in a way that, that tells us something about society, you know, it just... Right, right. So it feels sort of tangential, but they do focus on it enough that it isn't just a passing thing. Like it yeah. isn't just a... You know, where you kind of think about it, you know, there are plenty of cop and detective stories where afterwards you kind of think about it. You're like, huh, like, well, from my perspective as the viewer, knowing that that was the bad guy and that was the good guy, I'm okay with what he did. But actually in a world where we don't know for sure, then he's crossing a lot of lines, you know, to like to. Frame this guy or whatever it is that's happening mm-hmm. in the show. You know, that's a common thing with like a cop show because, you know, they make it inter- – try and make it entertaining and and in reality following, you know, extremely strict rules of, <laughs> of policing and so on, uh, you know, in an ideal world where they are fully strict and fully followed, then, you know, that's just maybe not as compelling mm-hmm. as a, of a story. But this one does really drive it – like it really throws it in your face in sort of these prolonged yeah. sequences – That, yeah, I was surprised that they never really brought that to any resolution. They kind of just leave that hanging. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to take that as, like, comical. Like, it's a comical breakdown to see, like, oh, he's finally snapped, kind of, from all of this (laughs) stuff that he's been enduring. Yeah. Or if, yeah, it's supposed to give me some kind of idea. Or whether... Maybe the movie is just sort of tone deaf at the end, and I really am not supposed to be thinking about the sort of ethical repercussions of what's happening. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's kind of, it's it's interesting, because I'd say to a far lesser extent than Project Power, but on a similar note, there are moments in the film where you kind of, based on the tone and the narrative and what's transpiring on screen and the way it's happening, you're almost kind of left wondering, like, does this movie know what it's saying about this particular topic, like and and you know the last thing i want to do is project 2020 problems on a 1985 yeah. foreign action film yeah but um yeah it was just it was just something that that, that struck me i thought it was kind of interesting cuz i loved the movie but yeah th- towards the end when he when the lawyer comes down and he's kind of saying like how dare you in a public place assaulting my client and, da, 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 and then Jackie Chan just decks the guy knocks him out and goes back and starts beating up the the crime lord and everything and then you get this moment where his two police chiefs, you get his, his you know, precinct captain and the, the main captain guy, they're talking and he says, how are we going to write it? How are we going to write the paperwork for this? And the, the captain's like, what paperwork? I didn't see anything. And he turns and leaves. And it's kind of like, all right, he's off the hook. Let's go. Like, he's finally going to let loose and deliver some good old fashioned street justice. <laughs> but, but then like, one of the thoughts I had was like, he did punch a lawyer. And that lawyer, as we've seen, is very tenacious in court. I don't think that just because the police chief didn't write it down, that guy's going to let it slide. You know, it's uh, a, because you you do get that kind of, that faint gratification of like the cop, you know, that's a classic trope of like the police chief being like, you know, what incident? I didn't see anything. And then kind of leave and just like, knock yourself out. Police, police guy, you've earned it. You've had a hard movie. Go ahead and kick some butts for a little bit. Uh, (laughs) But, but yeah, it's, it's just a, you know, obviously, the but you're you're clearly supposed to not like the lawyer after the court case and how much he kind of wriggles. Yeah. So well, it's...
0: but some of the some of the ire is and and one of the reasons why I'm I find it so difficult to place is because the the police chief, for example, is a pretty sympathetic character throughout the yeah throughout the story. Yeah, he's likable, and yet he ends up. He ends up at the, you know, at the knife point, essentially, of of Jackie Chan's sort of hysteria at at Mm -hmm. one point. And so it isn't necessarily a case of the movie kind of saying, like, look, we're not, you know, playing by exact rules. This is a movie. And, yeah, we're going to see the bad guy get his comeuppance regardless of whether it's strictly by the book. Mm -hmm. You know, but this, this is Jackie Chan's sort of... Like they're sort of like civilians and other police officers who are coming under the destruction of of what he's what he's doing. And yeah, yeah. So you kind of don't know how to <laughs> how to how to read it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess like the general vibe is like they have that little bit about, you know, can a cop go too far? But they, very, you know, by the end of it, they're just like, ah don't think about it. Just have fun, you know, because, again, I think if that <laughs> yeah. was a driving theme. I think that that sequence on the bus would have gone very differently because that that opening chase sequence where he's chasing after the bus and hopping onto it with his umbrella and everything, by the end of that chase, all you're thinking is what an amazing hero he is. You know, he's he, he rejects the bribe that the bad guy tries to give him. He successfully hunts him down. It's like he's just an awesome hero. Uh, whereas, you know typically in a movie like this where you have like a hothead character who can fly off the handle and play by his own rules. And then one day he's going to come back and bite you in the butt, you know, give me your gun and your badge kind of thing. Uh, you would think that that maybe he'd have broken a few rules during that bus sequence, which, which would also play into the court case where, you know, they could use the rules he broke against him. But in the end, part of, the, I think part of the reason that court case is so aggravating is because they really shouldn't have much of a case. You know, they, they, there's a lot of just kind of like, kind of fudgy technicalities they use to get Chu Tao off the hook where I, you would think kind of narratively it would have been a bit cleaner if there had been some breach in protocol during the arrest that they could kind of use against him. You know, you didn't have a warrant kind of thing, but I mean, yeah, it's the movie itself is so lighthearted and silly uh, and just fun that (laughs) You know, you're not left at the end being like, what is Jackie Chan trying to tell me here? You know, it's it, it's easy to let go and be taken along for the ride. But yeah, I was I was I was curious about that because it, it, it's hard not to think about cops in a, in a different light, given everything that's happened in 2020. But uh, I, I you would think even back then, you know, I mean, there's a reason that the movie Dirty Harry even exists. And there's a reason why every single character in the movie is telling Dirty Harry, you're out of line, Harry. So it's clear this was this has been an issue that gets some degree of attention for decades. But I, I will say, uh, good times were had. I'm going to very much enjoy, I'm sure, watching all of the, the uh, Police Story films. Um, are any of them Criterion apart from this one? The first... I think Police Story 2 is at least. Yeah, the first two. Hey, listeners, maybe someday, maybe we'll come back. You never know. Have a little throwback. We just got to find another uh, another Netflix movie like Project Power to pair it with.
0: <laughs> just wait for the wait for the sequel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, um, based on my viewing, I would say uh, as far as people who would get something out of Police Story, I honestly think just about anyone. That, that like you mentioned it yourself, Bo. There's it is accessible. What what is it they say about Mario Kart easy to pick up difficult to master it's it's very accessible but very rewarding for people who want to look deeper into it so yeah P- police story is an that's an easy recommendation to make for me um it's even I know that uh some of his other films like drunken master they get a bit more hardcore with the violence I believe drunken master is rated r um but police story is that it's it, obviously, there is a lot of violence. There's people who get pummeled and kicked pretty hard and stuff, but it's
0: it's it's Looney Tunes violence.
1: Yeah, it's very it's very Looney Tunes. <laughs> so it's yeah, I, I would say if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's available to watch on the Criterion Channel and HBO Now. HBO Now actually has a uh, at least Police Story one. I hope a few others because that's easy to get into. Um, but yeah. Uh, but what do you think? What, what, what do you, how, how do you feel? Like, who do you think would, would, would enjoy Police Story?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I agree. I think that it's it's got broad appeal. I think, you know, like I said earlier, even, even children would enjoy watching it. And there's certainly enough um, comedy and humor and story to engage adults. Let me say this, too. I would say tune in. If all you've seen of Jackie Chan is the Hollywood stuff, and maybe he was a bit too silly for you, if maybe, you know, really silly humor isn't quite your thing, then I would say at least give this one a shot. Maybe you'll find it's a little too silly for you still, but I think it would be hard to watch this and not be impressed by some of the sequences. And it's a fairly, you know, breezy film. It's not like, <laughs> and, and there's so much, uh, you know, there's so many of these, sequences um either interesting gags and stunts kind of happening with fights or happening without fights but they're you know even if all you're doing is admiring like the choreography of of certain scenes there's nothing really here that's going to like really bog you down and make it like difficult to wait for the the next action sequence so i would say whether or not you're a fan of Silly humor, you're still going to find um, admirable craft and something to be fascinated about in the in the silliness of what what Jackie Chan does. And then, yeah, there's plenty of I mean, the the action, again, is you can watch it as legitimate action. You know, if you're into actually watching, you know, well choreographed fights and you can also watch it just for, you know, the Buster Keaton esque. Yeah silent comedy slapstick gags that are rife throughout the the film as well.
1: Come for the fun, stay for the sheer art of it all. All right, well, you know, I'm not going to lie, I was a little uh, coming into this episode. I was worried we wouldn't have a lot of cool stuff to say, and I guess the ultimate judge will be our listeners as they get to this part where I'm saying this, and they're like, oh boy, should somebody tell them? Uh, But I enjoyed this. Um, uh, Project Power was... A fun watch, even if it wasn't necessarily because it wasn't necessarily a good movie. And Police Story was fantastic as well. Thanks for thanks for tuning in with us, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us while we talk about movies. It's always a blast. And uh, to close with a catchphrase, uh, 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 uh say say it ain't Bo. Yeah. Um,
0: say it ain't Bo. Uh, I'm I'm out, Chris. All right. You can keep going, but I'm going to you know just step aside
1: for a bit and. Uh, <sighs> My heart will bow on, I guess. That's a shame.